Welcome to Side Effects with an A. When effect is normally used, it's a noun. It's already occurred. Effect is a verb meaning action. Action influences outcomes. I'm Scott McGowan. And I'm Anne-Marie Singleton. We will provoke you to think differently. Side Effects, where problems are defined, solutions exposed. Welcome back to Side Effects. Anne, how are you? I'm great. How are you, Scott? Doing well. Doing really well. So how was your weekend? Good. Good. How much ice cream did you eat? It doesn't sound very good, does it? (laughs) Like That doesn't sound like an optimistic, great weekend. No, I don't want to hear it's good. I want to hear it's great. Yeah, you knew you were talking about um, your kids last week and high school. Right. Yeah, and my kids are grown up. One's married, and uh, I'm going to be a grandfather. Wow. In about two months. Doesn't seem possible, does it? I don't look like a grandfather. Well, that depends. You, seriously? <laughs> no. Okay. You look young. I do? Yeah. That's very nice. A young grandpa. Why do you say that? Do you say that because um, I'm the CEO? No, you actually look young. You do? Because it was, so that's, that doesn't look authentic. You do not look like you could be a grandpa, okay. but I think you had your kids when you were young. I did. I did. So that helps. So it's, uh, it's been a challenge, you know, as a dad. As you think about that with your daughter, uh, it's been uh, it's been interesting. Lori is just beside herself, so we're painting, she's decorating, all that stuff. And so, so my her, your wife, right? Her first grandbaby. Let's hope. Let's hope. Yes, my wife Lori is uh, beside herself. She's very excited. We're, we both are. So it's going to be fun. Yeah. We're looking forward to it. That's super exciting. Well, I'll tell you, I don't have a baby in my house. My kids are teenagers, but. We are getting a new puppy, so that'll be my baby in a week. You sent me a picture. What's the dog's name again? His name will be Oliver. That's a cool name. What kind of dog? A French bulldog. Yeah, he's cute. So Really yeah. cute. You yes. know what I feed my dogs? Uh, please tell me it's not table food. It's ice cream. Oh. My dog Colton loves ice cream. They have those frozen paws or something, dog ice cream? Or no, your, your, you share cr- your oh, ice yeah. cream? Yeah. Wow. I didn't know you shared your ice cream. Well, I get there. I Like, I actually, like, set the table for Colton. So I'll get, like, a dishcloth, and it goes on my lap. And as I take a bite, then I'll take another bite. He doesn't eat off my spoon. I was going to ask if Lori also shared that container. She isn't real, like, she is not enamored by so it. So what's the flavor of the week? Of the week, that's that's a good question because I started off probably strawberry, and then I got on this peanut butter. I love chocolate peanut kit. butter. It was unbelievable. Your Hagen's dog, sauce? the dog, probably liked that. The dog doesn't care. Oh. I mean, the dog doesn't care. And then right now I'm on this caramel core Ben and Jerry's. I was on this big kick, Chunky Monkey. I thought I'd found like ice cream heaven, and I was never going to leave it. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of manic, so I flipped. So now I'm on caramel core yeah. Ben and Jerry's ice cream so what what are you doing to uh i mean eat eat a lot of ice cream and that's okay everybody's got something they love to do but how do you stay so thin well i mean everything in moderation right so we talked last week about choices that we make so if i make the choice that i love and adore ice cream then i know the effects of sugar then i also know that the throttle can't go down on other elements of sugar i mean carbs turn into sugar Uh, candy, other things. And then um, I spin. So I like exercise. I lost about 40 pounds eight years ago. Yeah. And that's how I tell you and your brother apart. Yeah. And I mean, that took a lot of work. It's easy to go back over time. And so I'm really intentional about, hey, I'm allowed to eat ice cream uh, because I like it. So there's nothing bad with bread. There's nothing wrong with ice cream. There's nothing wrong with any of that. It's all about the moderation of that. And sure, I make mistakes. I'm not perfect. 
but I, I do try to be pretty intentional about, uh, about exercising. And in this scale, uh, that is my fuel thermometer every day. So I look at that and say, how much fuel can I, can I put in my body today? Right. Can I have ice cream today? And, you know, my scale takes a battery size that I don't have. So for the last seven days, I haven't been able to step on my scale and see my weight, and I am freaking out. So I have to go buy this little flat battery at, at uh, Batteries Plus after work today so I can make sure that I didn't eat too much. Because if I don't get on there every day, um, I don't know. It, you really have to check. It's like the gauge in your car. You're right. You know, I talked to some people about that, too, and they say that it's unhealthy to weigh yourself every day. Have you heard that? I have. I heard that you shouldn't do that. It's mentally not good for you because your weight can fluctuate. But I think if you're informed and you know that one day I'm going to weigh two pounds more, one way I'm going to weigh two pounds less, then I think it's okay. But I can tell you that there was a time that I didn't get on the scale for six or seven months. I moved and I didn't find it in my boxes. And um, I gained a bunch of weight and I didn't think I changed my eating and I didn't think I changed my activity, but something changed. So for me, I think it's a really good gauge. I think what's interesting about that too, Anne, is, you know, there's a lot of things that we're willing to talk about in life. Um, We're really not that willing to talk about financially how we're doing personally. And let's face it, um, uh, our uh, our sex life is not something that we want to talk about with other people. Yeah, unless you're single and in college. That's true. Right. And at my level where I'm at, I really don't want to be around <laughs> those conversations. Yeah, I just don't. But uh, but weight is an issue, and it's something that you know we just we don't talk about. So when I talk about that with other people, and I talk about that with organizations, well, why do you think that is? Yeah, it's sensitive. I mean, people are sensitive to it. I think partly because some people feel like they can't do anything about it, and partly because some people know that they can, but they don't. So it's it's something we can see with our eyes, and and we know it, but it, it's sensitive, and people don't want to talk about it. It's like the white elephant in the room, literally. You know, it's interesting you say with your eyes, because I think society discriminates and identifies disease state with our eyes. So as we talk about employers, you know, and gosh, your, your boots are on the ground all the time talking to employers about, hey, you know, I want this wellness program. I'm going to go down this rabbit hole. This is what I'm really excited about. But a big question that's in the marketplace right now is, like, should I be self-funded? Right. So walk me through some of your conversations recently about that question. Yeah. So that, I mean, it's a great question. And with the advent of the ACA since 2010, we've been having a lot of questions about self-funding because it avoids some of the provisions of the ACA, it avoids some taxes, it avoids some fees, and it's really gone down market, meaning down to employers that have 100 employees, even 50 employees, where historically that would have been something a larger employer would consider with 200, 300 employees. And one of the questions that I get is, you know, what 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 are the advantages of it? Well, Right off the bat, advantages of it are you avoid the premium tax in the state of Ohio if you're an Ohio employer or premium tax in whatever state you're in, um, and you avoid some fees and taxes. But if you are not willing to have that hard conversation that we just talked about in terms of what's driving your claims costs, if you're not willing to talk about not only obesity or weight issues, but other things that we can't see with our eyes. Smoking. Yeah. You have no business being self-funded if you don't understand what you're insuring. You just don't. That's a great point. So in other words, I want what I don't have. I want lower cost, but I don't want to do anything about it. 
So in most cases, you'd say, then stay fully insured. That's right. Let's Shove that risk. Keep that risk off your plate. Right. That- so when an employer looks at like a self-funded platform, I mean, what, what are some of the things that they should that they should look at? Yeah. So, I mean, just for starters, what are we insuring, right? What's our population look like? And if you're a smaller employer and you don't get claims costs, um, you might not know what your population looks like. On top of that, even if you're a larger employer and you do get claims costs, that's historical information of people who've had an episode. That doesn't tell you about all the people that haven't had an episode. So you really need a lens into the future of what are you insuring? And that's really where a biometric screening comes into play. So I really don't advise an employer to even consider it until they understand the population that works for them and who they're insuring. So that that's part one. I think, the, the you know, the other issue that I think employers understand is, you know, they got in business to make a product better every single day. So they wake up, they think about that, they think about their product, they think about their service they're offering, uh, and it keeps them up at night. How do I keep my people? How do I make my product? How do I keep my customers? And I think one of the things, at least from our, our industry, so we're insurance brokers. We like to say that we're advisors. Uh, what we do is sell our knowledge and expertise. But I do think what is frustrating from our end is the fact that I think a lot of employers are coerced into thinking that a self-funded platform uh, is advantageous for them when they clearly don't uh, understand the liabilities of making that decision. Right. When you're suddenly paying the claims every week, you start to really feel anxious and nervous about what's happening. And the worst situation is an employer that goes self-funded and just prays and hopes that a large claim doesn't come in. Um, It causes cash flow spikes. It causes other types of issues. And really understanding what it means to be self-funded, all the components that go into it, and then what it takes to manage the risk not just in the near term, but on a long-term basis, is vital. Are there industries, so people that you talk to, Ann, that you've got your feet on the ground, you're talking to CEOs, are there, um, are there industries that you see that, like, get it? Like, I, I, I get it because maybe they self-insure their vehicles or they self-insure other parts of their business where they just absolutely, I can have this conversation and it's fully understood, risk, reward. You know, I don't know that it's industry specific and there could be pockets here and there of industry that understand it, but I really think it depends on the leadership inside an organization. So whether you're a manufacturing or technology, a trucking company, any of those companies could be could be fully insured, and any of those companies could be self-funded. I think it starts at the top with the leadership that's involved with the benefits. The CFO is normally where that resides, but HR needs to understand it. Um, The president and owner needs to understand it. If you're uh, a not-for-profit, we don't see those self-funded as often. They're directed by a board. There's a lot of people involved. Um, Making decisions takes a little bit longer, and they don't have the cash flow to to take the ups and downs. So that would be an industry I would say we don't see a lot of self-funding. So what you're saying is they need need a stomach for it. A risk tolerance is really what we're looking at. I mean, it's easy to understand the mechanics of it. But if you tell me I'm going to pay X and next month I get a claim drop and my bank account goes down by X, who gets that phone call? Do you get that phone call? Um, yeah, I mean, everybody gets a phone uh-huh. call. Everybody, <laughs> when, gets one. everybody gets that phone call when, uh, when, when, there's, a, when there's a spike like that. Um, you know, if we, if we know it's coming, of course, we'd let, the, let them know. But typically, uh, we don't know. The claim you know, gets, and the big things, too, that come up with that is 
uh, like we even talk, we were talking about, uh, you know, so I'm going to be a grandfather. So we're talking about, you know, maternity and what does that mean? And I, you know, I don't think a lot of employers really understand the liability of, of, uh, of even a premature baby. Right. What that could cost. And, you know, we're talking about in our industry today, we're seeing uh, claims and could be in excess of three, four million, million dollars. Right. For yeah. things like that. As compared to a normal pregnancy, mm-hmm. um, you know, 10,000, 12,000, 20,000, depending on the length of stay. But a, a premature baby, it, it, it can wreck a health plan. It, it could wreck a company w- if it's not insured correctly. You bring that up, which I think is an excellent point. It could wreck a company. I don't think a lot of employers understand that when you're self-funded, you now you assume fiduciary liability. So if I'm, you know, Joe's radiator and I'm fully insured, if something happens to one of my employees, either a, a service that was denied and something happens to that employee, God forbid, uh, that employee, their family, attorneys are going to go right after the insurance company. Right. But I don't think what a lot of uh, employers understand is when you're self-funded, you have the fiduciary liability. So if something happens to that person, the claim gets denied, maybe a pre-cert, maybe it's experimental and it's denied and the person passes away, um, the liability goes back on the employer. So if I'm Joe's radiator, it would be Joe's radiator and insurance company. Right. And I'm not sure that's really articulated well in the marketplace. Yeah, I think that... I think what we're seeing is there's been so much messaging about self-funding and being self-funded to avoid taxes and fees with the ACA that people are not talking about the liabilities that goes with self-funding. So what you're saying is we just want to make it sexy and we don't want to make it honest and real. Yeah. I mean, in the, the, the liabilities have been glossed over in order for someone to save 5 or 7%. Now, I'm not saying 5 or 7% isn't a lot of money. It's a lot of money. And over time, it, it's 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 tons of money as you go year two, year three, year four. It's it's a huge amount of money that an employer can put in their own pocket or back to their own employees or growth and expansion if their plan is running well. What people aren't talking about is what happens when it doesn't run well. And that is a very, very big risk for employers that have moved into self-funding, particularly the smaller employers and even more so employers that run on a thin margin. Yeah, without a doubt. I think the big issue is just educating the the buyer. I mean, we've always said here, I mean, we're not in the selling business. We're in the knowledge business. Yeah. And, you know, I'll give you an example. So working with a new new client, uh, we started to work with them last year in early December. And they came to us uh, sort of in a rush. Their renewal was coming up in January and they were self-funded. They have about 400 employees and many of them are retail in nature. And we were having a discussion with the CEO and the owner of the company uh, via a conference call. And my two other teammates were in another location. I was in my car. And I was going through self-funding and the stop loss and explaining the aggregate and specific stop loss to this business owner. When we got off the phone, my account manager called me and said, Anne-Marie, I think you confused our client. I think he didn't understand what you said. And I think you need to call him back and make sure he understands his risk. I was like, hey, that's a good point. So I called him up on the phone and I said, hey, my team said I might have confused you. Just want to talk to you about this again and make sure you understand your responsibility. And he said, oh, no, Anne-Marie, it's just the opposite. We've been self-funded for three years. Today was the first day I understood my liability and my risk. That's why I was quiet. Gotcha. I was like, wow. Okay. So now he understands it. He's okay with it. We had to have the conversation, which was sensitive about, can your margins sustain this? 
And he said, yes, it could. But it's just more than talking about the insurance. We have to understand the employer. and We have to understand their profit margins and their risk tolerance. That's a big deal. I mean, actually, you can go to healthierbirthdays.com. You can find some information around self-funding. So, um, you know, kind of sarcastically, we have this thing, 50 Shades of Funding. Uh, also, captives, which we'll probably leave that for another show, uh, get together and talk about the expertise uh, captives. Uh, MIWAS, which is uh, a multiple employer welfare arrangement, is uh, is another element of self-funding for smaller employers. I, I think the purpose of bringing this up is our job, uh, at least in our role here, and quite frankly, our job here on the show, Ann, is um, to l- let's just speak the truth in regards to, hey, what's the, what's the liabilities in that? Because I know you are concerned. I know I'm concerned. Uh, a business owner gets into business to grow a product and service and make it better every single day. And I love the spirit of an entrepreneur. I love it. I love the fact that they take gigantic risk to the mo- to do the most important job in America, and that's to create a job for somebody else, to create that job for somebody else. Uh, and when I see those business owners um, make decisions to do things when they're not aware of the liability they're going to put their family, their organization, and their people, um, to be honest, I mean, it, it's a real bother. I mean, it hurts, not only hurts our industry, uh, it hurts them as an employer, it helps um, it, uh, and it could put their company at, at substantial risk. risk. Yeah. So I think I mentioned uh, um, in our last podcast, I've got 10 years here at McGowan and 17 years at, a, at another company. I was a, a banker in my former life and spent a lot of time helping people grow their companies by lending them money, right? Letting them use our money to, to make more money for themselves. And I think that um, it's really no different in the world that we're in. I mean, helping employers control costs and helping employers understand their risk um, allows them to keep their money in their company and allows them to grow and continue to make the places where we call home vibrant places for us to raise our families and for them to continue to, to hire people. So I think what's interesting, so we went from um, potentially being a grandfather, your kids going to high school, um, to just talking about feeding dogs uh, my ice cream, to talking about self-funding and uh, an Typ- aggregate. Typical day at McGowan Braybender. Yeah, exactly. Just completely random thoughts. But, I mean, it's a serious topic, and we'll keep talking about the elements of self-funding as we kind of move through this program, like we said before, with captives. and So what are some of the other things that you see kind of off into the horizon? Yeah, so a couple of things that, that I see. Um, one thing is I want to make sure that, you know, we talked about uh, your daughter being pregnant and having a baby, want to make sure that everybody is getting their preventive exams, not just those expectant moms. And when we talk about preventive exams, we think people have to have a primary care physician, right, in order to do that. So look forward to us talking about attribution. So a little bit of homework. We'd like you to Google the word attribution or attributed patient. And um, that's, that's not ice cream, is it? That's not a flavor of it's ice not? cream. No, not, not. not present. What about aggregate specific? Is that ice cream too? I, I, I don't think okay. that you'll find it's that one on the shelves. Yeah, got it. No. Got it. So, Ann, we've talked about a lot. Agreed? Agreed. And we can't solve 17% of our economy overnight. Or in 20 minutes. Exactly. So we're excited about our next episode. Right. We kind of talk about what's on the horizon. So if you have any comments or feedback for Ann or myself, follow us on our blog, provide some comments there, email us, uh, or follow us on Twitter. An email, you can reach us at ann at healthierbirthdays.com. Or scott at healthierbirthdays.com. 
or go out and make sure that you look at healthierbirthdays.com for video feeds, content, some of the things that we're reading, some of the things that we're really interested in. Might provide value, might not. But one thing uh, that we're not afraid. To share. Could be right, could be wrong. I'm not afraid to say it. Right. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks for listening and opening your mind. If you're interested in learning more, you can reach us at scott at healthierbirthdays.com. Or Ann at healthierbirthdays.com. We hope you'll join us next time on, on Side, Side Effects. Effects.